A person's last words are often the most important. Jesus' last words to his followers were to make disciples. In this episode, Carla uses scripture to reveal the significance of Jesus' instruction for us today. The Bible teaches that Jesus wants us to be disciples that make disciples. Since it's going to be challenging to make disciples before knowing what it means to be one, let's first look at the significance of being a disciple. To put it simply, a disciple of Jesus is someone who believes by faith in Him. And the term discipleship refers to the process of growing in the knowledge, understanding, and practical everyday practice of God's Word. In other words, discipleship is learning to consistently follow Jesus, growing in an ever-deeper relationship with Him. To recognize a disciple, it's helpful to look at the disciples of Jesus' day. Matthew 9, 9 says this, As Jesus went on, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Jesus extends a personal invitation to his disciples. Notice that his invitation is to follow. Jesus never asks us to run ahead of him or to pursue anything apart from him. Jesus asks us to follow because he best knows how to lead and the direction he wants to take us. Although Jesus expects a response to his invitation, it's important for us to understand that not all people in the Bible who called themselves disciples or followed Jesus were his disciples. People often physically gathered to see Jesus. Some people were merely curious and others were enthusiastic to hear his teaching and amazed by his miracles, yet others were skeptical. Not all placed their faith in him, becoming his disciple. I make this point because it was the crux of discipleship in Jesus' day, and it remains so today. What criteria determines a disciple of Jesus? Approaching this question from a human perspective can be problematic, because our human nature reasons issues from a personal perspective. And as a result, a person may base ideas on personal preferences rather than simply receiving Jesus' message by faith. Consider this. When two people enter into an agreement, each person negotiates the conditions of the agreement. But in a covenant made between God and people, God sets the terms of the agreement and requires a personal response of obedience. This means that a person becomes a disciple of Jesus on God's terms. Unlike humans, God's perspective never changes. The Bible confirms that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This means that his character, his instructions, and his promises, they never change. This also means that his plans and purposes for his disciples are timeless. Therefore, the response to follow Jesus and the manner in which we follow are very significant. We see an illustration of this in Mark 8, 34-37. Let's unpack this passage together. It says, Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So picture a large group of people gathering near Jesus. Some had already placed their faith in Jesus and some had not, but they were gathering around him nonetheless. Mark continues, And Jesus said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must. Let's stop here for a moment to consider. Why do people use the word must? Must is used prior to communicating a stipulation or condition, a requirement. By using the word must, Jesus is about to distinguish and specify the response necessary for becoming his disciple. They must, Jesus said, deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. To deny self is to consistently put aside personal desires, 
to embrace those things that are most pleasing to God. Let's face it, our human nature does not like to be denied. And since human or earthly standards have nothing in common with God's standards, it would be futile, even hypocritical, to think that we can wholeheartedly follow Jesus while also following earthly pleasures. Therefore, denying self is a must-do for Jesus' disciples. In this passage, Jesus also asks the crowd to take up their cross. In those days, a cross represented death. It's a perfect word picture of complete sacrifice. To take up your cross is to willingly sacrifice or put to death our will to obediently follow God's will. This serious request would not be natural for anyone to embrace, but a necessary one for each disciple of Jesus. As our example, Jesus was fully surrendered to God the Father, obedient to Him, even unto death. The key is surrender. Through a surrendered life of faith in Jesus, we too can be fully obedient to all God asks of us. As you consider taking up your cross, think for a moment about Jesus' journey to the cross. Along the way, he experienced personal ridicule, rejection, enormous suffering, and humiliation. By intentionally and sacrificially taking up our cross, we each identify with Jesus' obedience, regardless of the personal cost. Please be encouraged. Jesus will never ask us to do anything without also fully enabling us to do it. That means that as you depend on the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, you will be able to victoriously deny self and triumphantly carry your cross regardless of what that may entail. God created us. He knows us. He knows that following His Son Jesus is counterintuitive to those who follow the world's standards of living. That's why He continues in this passage to say this, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Think about it. You can't put a temporal price on an eternal soul. You would be mixing two different economies. Jesus is clear. If a person wants to cling to their life on this earth and pursue its pleasures, they will lose or forfeit the ability to experience eternal life in Him. And since nothing of this world lasts forever, anything a person may gain will only be temporary. Just as in Bible times, Jesus wants us today to consider whether our response to Him is genuine. In John chapter 1, it records another example of a large crowd of people following Jesus. Verse 38 says, Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, What do you want? By asking the question, What do you want? Jesus was encouraging these people to examine their heart motive. How will you answer the same question from Jesus today? What is it you want? Do you want to experience eternal, abundant life in Jesus? Do you want to experience His unlimited power working daily in your life? Are you willing to lay down selfish pursuits to wholeheartedly seek God's will? Don't hesitate to hit the pause button here for a moment to consider your current relationship with Jesus and what you truly want. What Jesus requests of His disciples is a life sold out to Him. Paul describes such a lifestyle in 2 Corinthians 5.15. He says, 
Christ died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul understood that a life surrendered to Jesus could only be lived by faith. In Galatians 2.20, he wrote, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. As we continue to relinquish control of our lives to Jesus, he will work to perfect greater faith in us. It's a process. Since Jesus' work is transforming, our lives should reflect a consistent progression towards spiritual maturity. In 1 Timothy 4.15, Paul urged Timothy to be diligent in following Christ so that everyone may see his progress. Please know that your spiritual progress is a testimony of God's transforming work in your life. As we progress in our walk with Jesus, our lives will become examples for others to follow. This is Jesus' expectation. Look with me at Mark 1, 17-18. Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee when he extended an invitation to Simon and his brother Andrew. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. This passage gives us a great picture of Jesus' purpose for those who would follow him. He wants to make them fishers of men. From the beginning, Jesus' expectation was for his followers to learn from his example so they in turn could influence others to follow him. In order to be a living example of Jesus for others to follow, his disciples would need to receive his truth and practice it in their daily lives. The Apostle Paul became an excellent example of this, his words matching his lifestyle and his lifestyle matching the truth of God's word. Then he made disciples of others by developing in them the same pattern of living. In 1 Corinthians 4, 16-17, Paul wrote this, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I'm sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. See, Paul understood that he could only lead others as well as he was personally following Jesus. Because of his faithful obedience to Jesus, Paul could ask others to imitate him. Please don't miss this. Paul wasn't asking others to focus on him. He was asking people to focus on Christ's transforming work in his life. The life of a true Christ follower will mirror Christ. Then as they train others to walk with Christ, each lifestyle will be consistent in reflecting him. Timothy's spiritual maturity was a result of the work of the Lord and also demonstrated the example and instruction of Paul. Please don't miss this. Paul's influence for Christ Jesus multiplied through Timothy. Are you recognizing your role in God's plan to make disciples? A disciple of Jesus lives intentionally for Christ. Making disciples is a way a disciple of Jesus intentionally and purposefully influences others to expand Christ's kingdom. In the same way Jesus wants us to count the cost of being his disciple, he also wants us to consider the cost of making disciples. In Luke 14, 28-33, Jesus is speaking to the cost of discipleship. He says, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, 
everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. Have you counted the cost of discipleship? Making disciples will cost you time and effort spent in Bible study and prayer. It may cost you convenience, money, social status. It doesn't mean that God will ask you to give up everything, but he does say that there will be personal sacrifice. Giving up things that please self for greater things that please him. I don't know what God may ask of you. I can tell you that whatever he asks of you, the blessings will far outweigh any cost. If you fail to count the cost of discipleship, as with other areas in life, you may not be able to finish. So if we claim to be a disciple and yet fail to faithfully follow Jesus or make disciples as he commands, how well does that reflect the Lord we claim to follow and serve? Hmm, think about it. The things we love most vie for our attention. If we allow other people and things to take priority in our lives, when will we get around to serving Jesus? And how will we do so faithfully? Be prepared. When you have a heart for discipleship, God is going to reveal more and more opportunities to share His truth with others. If you're not already yielded to Him, prepared to do whatever He asks, it will be difficult in those moments to do so. Difficult to resist self-interest or convenience. So once you've counted and settled the cost of discipleship, it's just a matter of learning from Jesus how to make disciples. The Bible records for us Jesus' example of reproducing disciples in Matthew 28, 18-20. Many people refer to this passage as the Great Commission. In these verses, Jesus is giving instructions to those who had previously placed their faith in Him. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Up until this point, his disciples had stayed close to Jesus, learning from his example. And now Jesus was sending them out by his authority to reproduce in others the truth he had instilled in them. Who has the right or the power to command a person to do something or delegate a duty to another? Only the person in authority. Jesus begins commissioning his believers by reminding them that he has ultimate authority from Almighty God. What is the significance for us? If we claim to believe in and follow Jesus, we should take the authority of God's instructions to heart. Jesus then says, Go. Now, we all know what it looks like to go about our daily business, don't we? Jesus is saying here that he wants us to travel with his eternal purpose in mind. As we go, he wants us to make disciples. At this point, you may find the Great Commission illustration in this episode's outline to be helpful in understanding the process of discipleship. You'll notice that the first word used in this illustration is the word lost. I use this word because it's one of the words that Jesus uses to describe people who have not yet entered into a relationship with Him. Prior to a person placing their faith in Jesus, becoming His disciple, 
they are lost. In fact, Luke 19.10 tells us that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Once a person becomes a disciple of Jesus at salvation, their first instruction of obedience is to be baptized. Then, a disciple continues to grow in Christ Jesus as they learn to walk in obedience to all God's commands. As you can see, receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord at salvation is the starting point rather than the end goal of the life-transforming process of discipleship. In other words, we first respond to Jesus' invitation by acknowledging Him as Savior and Lord, and then we make that acknowledgement a reality in our lives by daily following Him. Jesus still calls people today to follow Him and to make disciples. Jesus wants to produce His truth in you so that you, in turn, can reproduce His truth in others. Have you considered the spiritual influence your life could have in the lives of others? Do you recognize that God created you to become a disciple that makes disciples? Throughout this training, you're going to hear the words discipling or the phrase one who disciples when referring to making disciples of Jesus. And although these specific words are not used in scripture, examples of these types of relationships are found throughout the Bible. Moses and Joshua, Naomi and Ruth, Elizabeth and Mary, Jesus and his disciples, Paul and Timothy, as well as others. And even though some believers are familiar with Jesus' command to make disciples, they often avoid forming discipleship relationships because they're uncertain of what they should look like. And some churches develop discipleship or mentoring programs to group people together, but they may fail to have a clear spiritual objective or training. As defined by examples in Scripture, these relationships were intentional and purposeful in teaching, guiding, and training others to walk daily by faith in the truth of Jesus Christ. Today, we too can intentionally and effectively invest in the lives of others to promote spiritual maturity. But be on guard. The enemy will not be pleased with your commitment to influence people for Jesus. Be aware there will be times in the process of learning to make disciples that the enemy will tempt you to become overwhelmed, doubtful, or fearful. Look again at Matthew 18, 20. Jesus said, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These disciples would soon receive the Holy Spirit to empower them to do everything Jesus asked them to do. And through an abiding relationship with His Spirit, Jesus would always be with them. Since we also have the truth of Jesus and the enabling of His Holy Spirit, we also have the potential to successfully make disciples of others. This training We'll use biblical truth to equip you to faithfully follow Jesus and train others to do the same. The question then becomes this, are you committed to the process of learning to make disciples? We know that the call to make disciples can have eternal significance. And from experience, I can tell you that the blessings of following Jesus and influencing others for Him is immeasurable. Are you considering the spiritual, eternal influence your life could have in the lives of others? As we've learned, in order to be a living example of Jesus for others to follow, we will need to receive His truth and practice it in our daily lives. This episode's application, found in the show notes, will give you opportunities to practice practical, biblical principles in your daily life. If you want to learn more about making disciples, you can visit our website at carlamclaughlin.com. That's C-A-R-L-A-M-A-C-L-A-C-H-L-A-N dot com.